Welcome to the Grace Point Church Podcast. Here at Grace Point Church, we believe in meeting people where they are and leading them to where God wants them to be. Join us now as we listen to this week's message. I am not good with bills that are more than two months away. I know this. If I have a bill and it's coming up and it's two weeks away, I take care of it right away. But I hate car registration. Because car registration, they send it to you, it's three months later, and I just feel like I'm getting ripped off if I pay that bill as soon as it comes. And so I sit it in a drawer or on a, on a table somewhere, and I tell myself I'm going to pay it right when it gets close to it, and I almost always forget. So one time I was, we were at the time living in Florida, and I forgot. I admit it, I forgot. But instead of doing the responsible thing, which is to go over to the tax collector's office, because in Florida they have a tax collector's office, and that's where you, you pay your, your uh, car registration. And so I forgot to go, and instead of going there to get my registration right there, I mailed it in. And so my um, registration was expired for a little while, but I was confident that I had mailed it in and it would be no problem. Well, one day I was driving to church and uh, I was by myself and I was driving in the minivan and there was a police officer who pulled out in behind me and was right behind me. And I knew that my tags were expired and I was just thinking to myself, okay, please, God, please do not let this policeman pull me over. And I thought, I am going to church, Lord. I am going to church. I am doing good today. Please don't let him pull me over. And I look back and he's still following me. And then I remembered this verse. And so I claimed it. I said, Lord, you said in your word that if I ask anything in your name that you were going to do it for me. And so in Jesus name, I just ask that you get rid of that police officer that's chasing me. (laughs) Well, I think you know the end of the story. I made the the turn onto the main highway, and that is when his lights went on behind me, and I got a ticket uh, for driving with expired registration. And uh, I was sitting in my, in my, my minivan, and I was just thinking to myself, boy, that didn't work. And I, I thought, how is it possible that that didn't work? Because the Bible is very clear that if you ask anything, that you were going to get it. You're going to get it. And I didn't get it. And I was upset. Because apparently those things, those words did not mean what they said that they were supposed to mean. And so we are starting this series um, called Twisted. And it says the most misused verses of the Bible. And what we're going to do over the next four weeks is we are going to take a look at four of the most misused, the most abused verses uh, that are in scripture that people use to say things that that doesn't really say, that we have used and twisted them around. So we're going to talk about a verse that says that I have plans for you to prosper. And and next week, we're going to be talking about a verse that says, judge not. And, And all of these things, because one of the things that we have done, and listen, if you are here today and you're not a Christian, or if you're watching us online today and you're not a Christian, and the entire time you've been thinking to yourself, and maybe one of the reasons why you don't want to take that step to be a Christian is because you hear Christians and they take a Bible verse and they quote it, and then they can make, it seems like they can make it say anything that they want it to say. 
Well, today you are going to get your chance to say, Aha! It's true! You guys do do that! But what I'm hoping is, is at the end of this four weeks, there's going to be at least four verses that you and I are going to be able to look at and say, Okay, I know now what that means. That's not what it means. I'm going to stop using it that way. So today, the verse that we're going to look at is a verse that was written by uh, one of Jesus' disciples, one of his friends, one of the people who spent the most time with him during his ministry, uh, the three years that he was active as an adult in ministry uh, while he was here physically on earth. And this is a verse that uh, almost all Christians know. Um, This is a verse that I heard many times growing up. Maybe you have too. In fact, uh, there are verses like this that, or or variations of this that even non-Christians have heard and that have said. And it's in John chapter 14, and and this is what John says, or this is what John um, quotes Jesus saying. He says, you can ask for anything in my name, anything, and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. And then in the next verse, he says, yes. Ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. That's great. I need a new job. God, I I need a new job in Jesus' name, and boom, I get it. Well, not anymore for me, but, you know, there are some people, some young men who are thinking to themselves, God, I just need to marry a supermodel. She needs to be hot and rich in Jesus' name. Nope, nothing. There was a, a, a lady, a very, very dear friend of mine, when, I was in, uh, when we were living in Florida. And uh, she was active in the church. She was an elder. She, was, uh, she went to church every weekend. She volunteered at the church. And uh, one, one day we found out that she was diagnosed with cancer. And uh, she had strong, strong faith. She loved God. She, she had a, a wonderful walk with Jesus. And there came to a point where she didn't get treatment anymore because it wasn't going to help anything. And her and her friends and I and the people at our church, we gathered around her and, and we prayed and we believed it and we claimed it and we said it all in Jesus' name and we stood on it. Because that is something that that church people do. We stand on things. And so we were standing on this promise of God that we can do anything if we ask it in his name, that he'll do it. And so we prayed and we believed. And she still died. And so obviously this verse is not true. Or maybe we've just twisted it. And so that's what I want to look at today. You know, in, when, it, when uh, it comes to understanding Scripture, there are two words uh, that we use to talk about how is it that we, are, we figure out or we study a particular text, a particular verse. Uh, the first word is called exegesis. And exegesis simply means to find the meaning of the text and bring it out. So look for the meaning that is inside the text. What is the text trying to tell us? And out of that text, bring out the understanding of the text. That's what we're supposed to do. Too many times, though, what we do instead of exegesis is called eisegesis. And eisegesis simply means to take out of the text what we want it to say. In other words, to take out of a verse, take out of a sentence, take out of of that, that Bible text 
what we want it to say, what we think that it should say, how we want it to be applied to our life. And if we are not careful, when we look at Scripture, it is easy to think that we are doing an exegesis and pulling out of that what the verse says and instead doing an eisegesis and, pulling and putting into it what we want it to say. So as we start looking through over these next four weeks different texts, different verses of Scripture that, that we're going to see have oftentimes been twisted, uh, we're going to look at three... There, there's three things that we have to do in order to understand what a Bible verse, a particular text, is telling us. The first thing that we have to do is we have to understand the context. We have to understand the context of what that text was. We need to know uh, what happened before. What was written about before that text? What was written about after it? Who wrote it? Who was it written to? What is the main theme or the message of that text? So we have to understand the content that was placed in. It's not just a single verse. It has a story that surrounds it. The second thing is, is that we have to interpret Scripture with Scripture. Because the best way to understand what one text says is to look what other texts in the Bible say about it. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, isn't that circular reasoning? That you're using one part of the book in order to prove the other part of the book. Well, I would if it was one book. But just because for many of us, Scripture is bound together in what we look at as a book, doesn't mean it's just one book. Scriptures are actually 66 separate books and manuscripts and letters that were written by many, many different authors over many, many different time periods. And as those different books and letters and manuscripts came together, we can see that running through them that there is a common theme because our understanding is that the Holy Spirit came through all of those writings, and so they all say the same thing. And finally, we have to apply what we learn because Scripture wasn't meant to be a book that we just are interested in things and, and we were fascinated by them, but then nothing happens. Scripture was intended to be a letter, a letter from God to us to tell us how to live. So as we start through, going through this, and as we were looking at this first verse, we're going to start with John. So who wrote the book of John? Well, it was a guy named, you guessed it, John, because that's what they did back then. If you wrote a book, they called it your name. So it was written by John. And the main theme of John's book was to prove that Jesus was the Son of God. That was his main theme. In fact, it starts out in his book and it says, In the beginning was the Word. And it capitalized that word, Word, with a capital W, because it wanted to say that even though I'm using this word that you think is a word, it's not. It actually means a person. He wrote, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was what, what was God. And that the word came down and dwelt among us. So in John, his whole book is talking about Jesus being the son of God. And specifically in chapter 14, John is writing here this whole message this, about that Jesus is giving to his people. And it starts out by saying, listen, don't panic. Because some things are going to happen and, and it's easy for you to think you're going to, for you to panic. But don't. Just relax. Everything is going to be okay. In fact, Jesus goes on in, in John as John's recording it, and he says, listen, um, I am going to prepare a place for you. 
He talks about mansions and stuff and places for us to live. He talks later in that, in that chapter, and he's, he talks about him being the way, the truth, and the life. And then he says, when I'm gone, because I'm going to be gone soon, he says, I'm sending someone called the Holy Spirit to be with you. This entire chapter, John 14, is not about prayer. This chapter is all about preparation. That's what John is talking about. And so he says this, he says, he, 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 he quotes Jesus here and he says, Jesus says, you can ask for anything in my name. And I think the problem that we often have with this is that, especially what something that Christians have done over the years, is that we think that when it says in his name, we can ask for anything. We tend to think that his name is like magic words. Like, instead of in Jesus' name, it, it has the same effect as abracadabra. Like, as long as, I, as long as I say it, I'll get it. As long as I say in Jesus' name after anything that I want, I have to get it because he clearly says here, you can ask for anything in my name. And over the years, what we have understood in my name to mean is simply to add the words in Jesus' name after what it is that we're asking and then that will be the equivalent of asking it in his name. That's the magic words. But when we look at the way that the sentence is put together and what that phrase in my name says and what it means, in my name is, is it's both the authority to do it in his name, but it is also a limitation. That we can't just do anything that we want. We have to do something that is that that person would actually want to do, that that person is trying to accomplish. And I think part of the problem that we have here is that we can easily look at that verse and we can think that God answers prayers so that our lives will be better. God answers prayers so that our lives will be comfortable. God answers prayers so that we can have more of what we like and less of what we don't. And yet, if we look at this verse all the way, the entire verse, it says that we can ask for anything in my name, and I will do it. But he says there's a reason that I'm going to do it. He says, so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. So that the Son can bring glory. And that word glory, is, it means importance. It means a, a heaviness, a weightiness, an authority. So that the Son can bring glory to the Father. And the reason that I want to talk about this today is because what I've experienced, what I've seen is that one of the most common reasons that people walk away from their faith, the most common reasons that people walk away from God is that they had a need and then they prayed for it and they believed for it, but God didn't do it. And so they look at that situation and they think to themselves, well, either he's not real or he doesn't care. And so I'm out. Too many people have tried to say, okay, God says I can ask anything. And when it didn't come to pass, they just walked away. And that's why it's so important to understand the context of this verse and to look at what other verses in Scripture say about what matters to God, what's important to God when it comes to praying. So today I want us to look at four things that matter to God when we pray. Four things that we have to keep in mind so that we understand what prayer is for and what God looks at, what's important to him when it comes to the topic of prayer. So the first thing that matters to God 
is your relationships matter. Your relationships matter. Mark was also one of the apostles, and, and he, he recorded some of these things too. And this is Mark's interpretation, or how Mark recorded what Jesus said. He says, I tell you, you can pray for anything, and if you believe that you've received it, it will be yours. Awesome. Right? There are entire lines of Christianity that are all based on this verse. That if you pray for something and you believe it, you will receive it. If you name it and claim it, it's going to be yours. But listen to what he says in the next verse. But when you are praying, right? The verse before, he says, anything you want, just believe you've received it, it's yours. And then in the very next verse, he says, but hold on a second. When you are praying, first, forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. Our relationships matter to God. We can't say, God, I need a new car. God, I need a new car. God, I know I'm believing in you. I'm believing for that new car, but I hate my brother. John says, no, you cannot say you love God and hate your brother. And so here is what Jesus is saying is, listen, you got to take first things first. And, and parents, if you're a parent, you know this. I have two kids, and both of them aren't here today. And they're probably not watching either, so I can talk about them freely without fear of retribution. But I have a son and a daughter. And my son, he's great because he takes after me. And so he loves to do this thing where he puts his finger right in his sister's face. And he says, you can't say anything because I'm not touching you. Right? And so and she gets upset because he's right there with his finger right there. And he's laughing hysterically because he's not touching her. So she, he can't say anything. Now, if my son is doing that, right? And he's bothering his sister. And he's upsetting her and all of those things. And she's upset. And now they're fighting. And then right after that, he says, hey, Papa, can Jeremy come over? What am I going to say? I'm going to say no. Go apologize to your sister first. As parents, we understand this. This is what we do. God is the same way. In fact, he takes it uh, farther. Uh, and, and husbands, if you're here, listen to this. This is Peter writing. And he says, in the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should. Listen, so your prayers will not be hindered. Too many of us husbands are making the mistake of not treating our wives well and then thinking that we can still pray and they are going to be answered as easy as pie. And it's not true. So if I'm being a jerk to Terry, my prayers might be hindered because relationships matter to God. The second thing that matters to God is motives matter. Here's James again, and he says, and even when you ask, talking about prayer, and even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. This was very, very common in the time of Jesus. Because there was this religious group called the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, when they prayed, they would, instead of uh, going into a corner somewhere and quietly praying, they would stand up in the middle of the, of the street or in the street corners, and there they would pray. 
in front of everybody really, really loud. And they would say things like, oh, God, thank you so much for not making me like the rest of these people that are walking around here who are clearly evil and clearly do not have your blessing. They said things like that because they wanted everybody to look at them and say how important or see that they were important or at least thinking that they were important. They were praying with the wrong motive. Jesus would look at those types of people and he would call them hypocrites. And we have to look at our motives when we pray, right? Our motives matter. How many times or how many people do you know, or maybe it was you, who bought a lottery ticket and said, God, if you will just help me win the lottery, I am going to tithe. I'm going to donate money to the church. I'm going to help build a church somewhere. You just got to let me hit the super lotto. I know it sounds silly, right? We laugh about it. But listen, I hear it many, many times in a different form. And this is what people will say. They will say, they will say, uh, Pastor, can you just pray that I get this new job? Because if I get this new job, then I'll start tithing. Or just bless my business. Tell, tell God to bless my business. And once he blesses my business, I'm going to give to the church, I promise. It's the exact same thing. Just on a different scale. Because your motives matter to God. In fact, thousands of years before this, the person who is referred to as the wisest man who ever lived would write these words in a book that we call Proverbs. It says, people may be pure in their own eyes, but the Lord examines their motives. Our motives matter to God. The third thing that matters to God when we pray is our faith. James, again, he's writing this. He says, but when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Now, this is how the writers of this particular translation that, that I always teach in wrote it. But in, in older translations, it says, but when you ask, believe and do not doubt. In other words, what's your faith in? Be sure that your faith is in God alone. Believe and do not doubt. He writes on and he says, Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. And listen to what he says. He says, Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. In other words, our faith matters to God. Believing matters to God. That's why in Scripture we heard Jesus talking about a childlike faith. And kids are great because they have complete and total faith and trust until the first time we let them down, right? You can throw them up in the air as high as you want, but you drop them once and they will never let you do it again. I know from experience. But it's true. Kids have faith and God wants us to have faith like that. I know that some of you have heard me tell this story before, but there was one time where me and... and and Terry and the kids, we were in the minivan, and uh, it wouldn't start. And so my son, who is 22 now, but at the time was like four or five, he hops out of his car seat, walks in between the two seats, slams his hand on the dashboard and says, start in Jesus' name. And I turned that key and it started. I kid you not, this actually happened. Because... He had no expectation that it would do anything otherwise. 
And he was probably annoyed because he wanted to get frozen yogurt because at this particular time, frozen yogurt was a thing. And we were stuck there because the car wouldn't start. And so he said, what are you guys waiting for? And he went up there and he did it. And it started. Because he has a childlike faith. There were two blind men who came to Jesus. They said, have mercy on us, Lord. Matthew records it, and this is how he, he says it happened. It says, then Jesus touched their eyes and said, because of your faith, it will happen. Because you have faith, it will happen. And then it says, then their eyes were opened and they could see. Our faith matters to God. So if our faith, if our relationships matter to God, and our motives matter to God, and our faith, our, our, our uh, faith matters to God, those three things, then if my relationships are all good, and my motives are right, and my faith is strong, does that mean that then God is going to do everything that I want? That I can see it and be it, that I can name it and claim it, that I can blab it and grab it. Does that what that means? In other words... Is it really up to me? If I can make my relationships right, and I can make my motives right, and I just believe, I can make it happen. You can't. Because you see, if, if that was all that was took, that all that it took, then it would be making God out to be just a magic wand, a genie with three wishes, a heavenly slot machine that you just quit putting your quarters in and pulling, and put quarter in and pulling, and eventually you know that there's going to be a payoff. If you're patient enough. So it can't be just that. So there's a fourth thing that matters to God. God's will matters to God. His will. His goodness. His character. His plan. This is, this is how John would write it. He says, and we are confident that he hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. Other translations say, whenever we ask for anything that is in his will. And it goes on and says, and since we know he hears us when we make our requests, we also know that he will give us what we ask for. You see, if we think that we can demand anything from God, that we can make God do what we want, then that makes us God. If we can make him do what we want, then we're saying that we are God. And so when we look at that verse that says, yes, ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it, in my name is both an authority and a limitation. Some of you have heard me talk about my um, uncle in Florida and, who uh, lived in this really, really tiny town, and there was only two gas stations, and the big gas station in town, every, you know, they, they all knew him. And you could go there, and you could pretty much get anything. You could fill up your car with gas, and all you had to do was to go into the clerk and just say, charge it to Dr. Martin, and they would put it on his account. And so I could go there and fill up my car with gas and say, charge to Dr. Martin. And I was using his authority, his name, to get something that I needed from those people. But when I use his name, when I have access to his relationship, yes, it's a privilege, but it's also a responsibility. Because all of the people there and the people at the gas station, they have known my uncle for years. And my uncle, you know, he was a physician. He didn't smoke. He didn't drink. And so if I went in there and I filled up my car with gas and at the same time I bought myself a couple of cartons of cigarettes and a couple of cases of beer, 
the people who were at that gas station would know that I wasn't doing something that my uncle would approve of. Because I was going beyond the limitation because I was doing something that he would never do. It was outside of his will. And so because I want to honor my uncle who gave me access to his name and his authority, I'm not going to do something that I know he wouldn't do. And it's the same way with God. That when we can, yes, ask for something in the name of Jesus, but we also have to do that in a way that honors Jesus as he gives us that access to the Father. And so we pray. And sometimes God does a miracle. And there are times when we pray and it doesn't end up the way that we wanted it to. And it's a tragedy because many people walk away from God, from the church, from from other people of faith, because they didn't get exactly what they wanted in exactly the way that they wanted it. And, And here's the cool thing that I found. When we examine our relationships and make them right, when we look at our motives and make sure that our motives are correct, and when we do things in faith, you know that most of the things that we pray for work themselves out already? That many of the things that are troubling us, that we fear, that we don't know what to do about, that if we just got those three things straight, that they would work themselves out already. I am often called to hospitals to pray for someone. They're in an accident or an illness. And I get called and I go and, and, and I pray for them. And sometimes it's a, it's a good result. And sometimes it turns out not the way we expected. And someone asked me once, they said, you know, don't you get discouraged going to pray at the hospital and in in situations like this, especially those situations where it seems like everybody already knows what's going to happen and it seems like your prayers just didn't make a difference? Don't you get discouraged about that? And I'll tell you, I don't. Because when I am, am, am in a situation or where I'm looking at a place where someone is needing prayer work, they have a need. I believe that when we pray, that God can do something. I believe that when we pray, he will do something. And the thing is, even when he doesn't, even when it turns out that what we were hoping would happen didn't happen, I still believe and I still trust. Because my faith in God is not based on him answering my prayers. My faith is based on a relationship with Jesus, the Son of God. Because prayer isn't about getting what we want. Really, at the end of the day, what prayer does and answered prayers do is it helps us to have a better relationship with God. It helps us to recognize that I'm not God. It helps us to recognize that we don't know everything God knows and we don't see everything that God sees. And so when people ask me about prayer and they say, sometimes, why does it seem like my prayers aren't answered? I use this quote from Tim Keller, which I just love this quote. He says, God always gives you what you would have asked for if you knew everything he knows. Because for a lot of times, you and I, we ask only based on what we know. And we don't know everything. And we don't see anything. And so what I want to leave you with today is this. There are things that you do know. 
And so God trusts you with what you know. But it's up to us to trust God with what he knows. You see, prayer isn't about getting a perfect life. It's not about getting God to do what we want him to do. God answers prayers so that he gets the glory. God answers prayers so that we can go and say, hey, listen, let me tell you how amazing God is. Look what he's done. Our will is secondary to his. So my hope for you, those of you who are here today, those of you who are watching us online, my hope for you is that you're going to pray big prayers. Don't be satisfied with the little ones. Pray the big prayers that you know can only happen because God intervened. And when you pray those big prayers, I hope that you believe that God can do it. I hope that you can trust that God will do it. But even if he doesn't, I hope that you'll still believe. That you'll still believe that God loves you. That you will still believe that God wants what's best for you. And that despite what we feel or what we hear or what we see, that God is doing a good work in you. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. Grace Point Church is located in South San Francisco, California. For more information, look us up online at www.wearegracepoint.com.